0: Ask yourself, who are you? You're a father, a mother, a sister, a brother, a business person. What are those roles in life that you want to become known for and maybe remembered for? What do you believe in? Education, hard work, family. What are your deepest passions?
1: You're listening to the Building a Coaching Culture podcast. If you need to compete and win in the 21st century labor market as an employer of choice, this podcast is for you. Each week, we share leadership development, coaching, and culture development insights from leading experts who are developing world-class cultures in their own organizations. And now, here's your host, J.R. Flatter.
0: Hey, welcome back, everybody. I'm J.R. Flatter. I'm joined here by Lucas and Rosalie. We are in... Session two of 12, talking about building your house of leadership. So we'll spend some time reviewing what we talked about last week or last session, depending on the pace that you're consuming these. So today is principles. And before you jump into that, I just want to review what did we talked about uh, in the last session. So giving this idea of what a house of leadership is, standing on a foundation of courage. And so we focused most of our remarks on that foundation of courage so that's what we'll review because so we're going to build this house pillar by pillar and block by block over the next several sessions. But I want to just talk a little bit about Rosalie and Lucas, jump in here whenever. What do we mean by courage? Why do we consider it the foundation? So when I think of courage and, and its relationship to leadership, you think about the leadership literature and all of the courses and books and doctoral dissertations written on leadership, This idea of courage continues to emerge. It might not be called courage out loud, but there's this theme of courage that runs through those. Do you have the courage to even begin down the road of leadership? Do you have the courage to begin building your house of leadership? So it's a very different courage than you might think about in Battlefield Courage. The valor that you would read about, it's not that kind of courage, it's an internal courage that keeps you focused on your principles, focused on your goals. When you have naysayers, which we'll talk about a lot, are you able to set aside those criticisms and keep going forward? What do you do think about when you think about leadership or encourage building a house of leadership for someone?
2: I mean, I guess you do kind of feel that overwhelming feeling like, oh, do I have that in me? Do I have the courage that you're talking about? So it kind of makes me reflect on myself like kind of, a little nervous, <laughs> to be honest.
0: Yeah, but you're well into this journey. You just finished your master's degree. You've been in the workplace for a decade now almost. Do you find it growing in yourself?
2: Definitely. Um, it's kind of like an incremental thing where, like, you know, public speaking is always difficult for people. But as you get more comfortable with it, you know, you're going to express yourself more clearly to people. So I definitely feel that the growth over time, for sure. Yeah,
0: great.
1: I think for me, I've found that looking at the house of leadership, building it for myself, speaking about it with others and coaching relationships and things like that, it's something that's made me feel less alone because for a long time, I was struggling with imposter syndrome. And I know that we touched upon that in last week's episode, but it's reassuring to hear that a lot of people are dealing with it And that, you know, you're not alone in in feeling like, oh, maybe I'm not able to do this or that self-doubt might build up. These things are really great to revisit every once in a while when that voice is in your head telling you you can't do it to keep pushing forward and, and try your best every day.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. One of the recurring themes that we see as we're teaching is how normal people begin to feel that they have felt they were alone. They felt that they were so different. But then we all come together in these cohorts and realize, wow, you're having those same challenges. I thought it was just me. I think that's a really uh, important learning point that we continually discover. And I'd like to also point out, if you don't have this courage initially, it isn't cowardice. So it's not like there's a lack of courage means cowardice. That's not what we're describing here at all. So as you start down this journey or you're thinking about starting down this journey and you don't recognize yourself as particularly courageous with regard to all of the characteristics of leadership that you may have heard about or read about or seen. Almost all of us have that spark of courage within us. And through purposeful development like this, through meeting other people that are in the same challenges and learning from them, it'll grow in you and it'll get brighter and brighter. All right. So that's courage. We spend the majority of our time together here today talking about principled and what does it mean to be principled? So if you're thinking about the house of leadership in your mind, you see this foundation of courage. In our house that we build, there are four pillars holding this house up. And the first of those pillars is principled. So we're going to define principled, give you some historical examples, and talk about how it fits into leadership. So I'm a courageous leader, therefore I'm principled. When we say that we're principled in our world, and in the way we teach and think about this, It's in a very non-judgmental place. We're not saying we have principles and therefore we're better than you. We're not saying we have principles and ours are better than you. We're simply saying to the world, to the organizations that we work in, and the people that we work with, these are our principles. You might have yours, and you certainly probably do. Other organizations have theirs, but these are ours. And I love this quote from Victoria Whittle. She's a very famous person in the early part of the 20th century, and she fought for women's right to vote. And I suspect some of her principles are the reason that she's not more well-known, like some of her associates and, and peers at that time. And this quote from her, my opinions and principles are the subjects of just criticism. I put myself before the public voluntarily. For me, this quote is a really good intersection of principles and courage because the moment you tell the world your principles they're going to begin to comment on them who do you think you are i grew up in the country and so the, the phrase was you're too big for your britches which meant you, you got a, an ego so that's going to happen and we got to have the courage to to work through that there's no perfect order in which we could build this house if courage is the foundation then necessarily everything stands on that foundation in some ways You know, the four pillars are holding the house up on that foundation of courage. But in some ways, in my mind, principles are one of the keystones of this house. That's why we teach it second. You lay the foundation and then you lay that keystone upon that foundation. Together, they hold up the house. So that's why we teach them in this order. I'm going to read this next slide and then uh, pause and let you all jump in, please. So there's a lot of paradox in leadership. How can you be bold and, and uh, humble? How can you be driven and balance your work family self? And there's a bit of paradox in principled, being principled, living a principled life. Because before you can be principled, you have to decide that you're willing and able to live a principled life. And I know that sounds circular and never ending, but let me try to make a, an example. So I decide that I'm a principled person. I'm a principled father, a principled husband principled business owner. And then what principles do I add to that list? Because being principled is one of them. Education, family, financial freedom. I could go on and on and on. But those are my principles that I can live to because I've decided I'm going to subscribe to some set of principles. In our company, we have three principles. Service before profit, pursue work that excites us, and grow our leaders from within. So we've decided to be a principal company. And those are the three principles that are on that list. So what are your thoughts as we start down this path, you know, defining principle, living a principled life, the criticisms that might come with it?
1: It's not easy. It's going to take a lot of self-exploration to figure out if what your principles are, if you've never done that before when i first started this program i'd never done it before not that i didn't lack determination or motivation in those senses i just never really sat de- sat down and was so comfortable with myself to say these are the areas of my life that are important to me these are the areas of my life that are important to my education or my work so it takes a lot of self exploration and i think taking the time to do that is really important giving yourself grace with exploring those things And, you know, these things aren't like a check mark. Okay, I know my principle. I'm going to walk away now. It's something you're committing yourself to every day, and it takes time. I I think those are kind of my initial thoughts when we think about principled life.
2: So, yeah, like you're going to be presented with all these different choices in your life, and maybe you'll balance, you know, family over profit or whatever you might choose, depending on, you know, how you feel about things. But, if you don't kind of have this discussion with yourself and kind of figure out what are those pillars that are going to lead me to make certain decisions, it's going to be a lot harder to figure out, you know, what path you should take.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And actually the, the next slide, and next part of our discussion discusses exactly that. Before we move on, I don't want to put my professor hat on, but I might need to for a second. It's, I think it's worthwhile talking about the difference between morality and ethics for a second. And I don't want to split academic hairs here. What's one and what's the other. But morality is me. What do I believe in? Ethics belongs to the organization. And so when you're thinking of joining an organization, or if you're asking yourself, can I join this organization? You have to ensure that either your morality matches their ethics, or you can adjust your morality or get them to compromise their ethics, that you can work together, live together, It's true in a marriage, it's true in a church, it's true in a for-profit business, a non-profit business. When you join that organization, look at their core values. Do you agree with them? If you don't, can you find ways to compromise? Can you find ways of working with them to modify theirs? It's all a part and parcel of being a principled person, living a principled life and having a principled career. That's what this whole idea is about. And then back to Lucas's thoughts uh, from a second ago. We make decisions all day, every day, no matter where you're leading and what kind of organization you're in. Could be the president of your local swim team, could be a deacon in a church, could be CEO. We always make decisions all day, every day, but almost always without complete information. So, how do you choose from the infinite variables? one of the ways that you can fill in those white spaces, cross those leaps of faith from the known to the unknown, is to fill them in with your principles. If you have a strong set of principles that you live by, and the organization that you lead has a strong set of principles, you agree with them, therefore you adopt them, you live them, filling in those white spaces is going to be pretty easy. All right. So if you're on this journey with us, if you join this program, we have developmental assignments every week. So each of these characteristics, so courage, we would have spent an entire week. Principles, we would have spent an entire week. Here, we're just spending a few minutes together, making you familiar with them. If you go through the program, you're going to be proficient in these characteristics. We would give you an assignment every week. One of them is journaling. So this week's assignment would have been journaling for a week on the idea of being principled. An additional assignment, same thing every week. Talk to significant others in your life. What are our principles? What are our principles as a family, as a company, as a swim team, as a church, whatever type of organization it is. And then have a conversation with your coach. Hopefully you have a coach. If you come with us in a program like this, we will assign you a coach. And there's one nuanced difference this week. There are a few nuanced differences with different characteristics as we go through the journey. But the nuance of this week is talking about your individual mission statement. And I'll talk about this in a minute. Journaling. How valuable is journaling to you? And Rosalie, you've been doing it.
1: Incredibly valuable. I know that we've talked about it before and you've mentioned it being streams of consciousness and stuff like that. But I think especially for the 12 weeks having journaling as your homework, if you'd like to say, can be so enlightening and you can draw conclusions together that you might not have if you're just like going from day to day and not really taking that time to reflect. So reflection and reflex reflexing are really important. How
0: about you, Luca? Remember any of the conversations you had with different leaders? Were they worthwhile to you?
1: Yeah. And, and
2: Also, I've heard from other people, you know, when you talk to other leaders, they'll often recommend journaling. And if you Google like journaling and leadership, you'll find plenty of articles saying like how it raises your emotional intelligence. And because you're really you're studying your own emotions and and how you react to things so that it can help you recognize it in other people. Ultimately,
0: yeah, we call it a conversation with yourself every day. And, you know, if you talk about how the brain works, you're connecting neural paths by writing on the page. So it's art and science. So let's just talk about what do we, a little bit about what we mean by an individual mission statement. So there's no perfect way to describe this, but as you lay your principles in place, and as Rosalie said, you know, it's not one and done, it's a maturation, revisiting. You need to ask yourself some very, very hard questions. And this might sound a bit flippant, but, but I don't mean it to be at all. But ask yourself, who are you? You're a father, a mother, a sister, a brother, a business person. You know, what are those roles in life that you want to become known for and maybe remembered for? What do you believe in? Not necessarily from a religious perspective, but it could be. But what do you believe in? Education, hard work, family. What are your deepest passions? So we're trying to explore what Lucas was talking about, getting in touch with your emotions and those of, uh, around you, because you're going to discuss this with your significant others. What are our deepest passions? Some people might call it your why, Simon Sinek. Find out your why. That's kind of what we're talking about. And then the aspirational piece is, in the future, who do you aspire to be? A lot of what we'll talk about are setting aspirational goals and objectives and key results. So I've had an individual mission statement for a long while now. I share it regularly. In the course, I'll share mine with you, and Lucas and Rosalie might. It's not a document that's written lightly. It's not something that I share easily. But I think it's important to communicate and demonstrate. So not only asking you to do this, but we do it ourselves. You review it pretty regularly. Some anniversary points in your life, at the beginning of the year, your birthday, quarterly reviews. I have a friend who looks at his every morning. He puts it on his bedside every morning. He wakes up, he reads it. Am I doing these things? He takes it pretty seriously. Closing thoughts before we head out?
1: Yeah. Jer, when I think of this, I also think of your life being wide ahead of you at any stage of your life that you may be at. And this can be like a compass. Like you mentioned that you can revisit every day. And I know you've talked about it before, how you're in the fifth act, and I'm sure that your IMS has informed how you've gone through the different acts. And I think this is something that's really helpful for different acts of your life that you can guide you, that are like the linkage between all of them. And obviously, like we mentioned, it's going to change, but I think it's a helpful way to be moving through life and just feel more structured and feel like you're on the path that you're meant to be, like Lucas mentioned earlier.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think this kind of sums it up well, where it's like, it seems pretty simple, but the amount of reflection and oh, and, yeah. and the power of it is kind of understated because if you kind of identify what's more important to you, like we talked about earlier, it's going to be easier to plan your, you know, your future, your next 30 years.
0: All right. Well, thanks for being with us. And you know, in the course, obviously we'll drill down on this and we'll spend an entire week working on principles just like we'll spend an entire week working on all the others so thanks for listening and we'll see you in the next session well that concludes this episode of building a coaching culture i truly hope that this episode was helpful to you if it was be sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts maybe stop and give us a rating or review and share this podcast with someone who might find it helpful as well thanks again and we'll see you next time